We are here in the book of Acts, uh, and it's been, it's been a fun, fun journey, at least for me, and I hope for you, uh, just to um, take a moment, really. Take a breath, take a moment, and walk um, slowly through this, this book of the Bible. And if you were like me, the book of Acts is probably one of those ones that became reference material. It was not necessarily something that I was like, oh, I'm going to read from start to finish, da, da, da. You know, the Gospels were great. You get into Paul's letters. Those are fantastic. But the book of Acts, like, it's kind of like the book of Leviticus, just <laughs> snore, right? But to take the time and to really, like, journey with the early church and to see now these apostles as Jesus has pieced out and said, you're good, right? You got this, you're ready to go, and gave them the Holy Spirit, which makes them ready to go, and now launches this, this movement, and we're here talking about it because of what they did, because of their boldness, their courage, because of their zeal for the Lord, because of the choices that, that they made in response to the Holy Spirit saying, okay, go here, go here, go there. We're here because of that, and that's amazing. So obviously, back then, something was, you know, stirring them up and getting them going. And obviously, we know that to be the Holy Spirit, but it's just so nuanced as we go through this, 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 um, this book. There's so many rich little nuggets, so many things that, like, call us back into the Old Testament and, and play around in there and see what exactly they're referencing and how that just bolsters up who Jesus is. And today's no exception. They're going to do that very same thing today. Today we are in the book of Acts chapter 4. Now Matt was last week, and thank you Matt for, for, for uh, preaching on that. And we know Peter and John, you know, they start a ruckus. Things are, things are happening and the very people who uh, crucified Jesus, who said, okay, uh, you're out, are the very same people who are calling them in and saying, hey, knock it off. And they eventually realize that they really can't hold them there, but they give them this little ultimatum and say, okay, go, but no more. No more talking about the resurrection. No more talking about this. Quiet yourselves and get out. And so now we see them come to their people, who I don't know how many people there are, but they go back to their community and they explain to them, hey, this is what the chief priest and all these people said and told us to, to knock it off and be quiet. And what happens is, is for those people, the, the, that fellowship, that gathering, things just got real. Things just got really real. So you're telling us, now they don't say this, but I can imagine if I was there in that thought process. So you're telling me that the very same people who put Jesus on a cross, you know, the whole nails in the hand, feet thing, and up there, you know, the excruciating, where you get the word crucifix from, right? You're telling me that that could happen to us should we continue to preach and share the gospel, the, the good news of who Jesus Christ is. Is that what you're saying? And so that's exactly what's happening. The gospel message of Christ has now become dangerous. And the reason why it is dangerous is because the rulers of the day, the, the uh, lords of the day, the, the people who are in charge, the, uh, if it were us, the senators and the representatives, even presidents of sorts, the gospel is dangerous to those who are in power. And I bring that up for our day too because not by accident, the election is coming up. I want to urge you all to remember to which power you respond to. 
You see, because it's dangerous for the rulers of the day, because when thousands upon thousands of people respond to a higher authority, they are no longer in subjugation. They are no longer afraid or feared of anything that you may do to them. And that becomes a lot of people that I can't control. And so they start meddling in cornflakes. That's my new phrase. They're meddling in the cornflakes. They're starting a ruckus and they're meddling in cornflakes. I don't even like cornflakes. They're meddling in cinnamon toast crunch. Now that's, that's a bad morning. But that's exactly what they're doing. You've heard it said that we respond to a higher authority. And I just, I just used the word respond. And it's a weak word, actually. Because that is not what has caused this whole thing to be successful. That is not what it has called this whole mission of the church to be successful. It's not so much the response. It is the fully devoted to, the fully bound to relationship that these people have with the Lord Jesus Christ. So instead of saying we are respond to a higher authority, we are bound to a higher authority on our lives. And when massive amounts of people truly experience that transformation without fear to those people, to be bound to the holy and righteous one, to be bound to the author of life, to be bound to the anointed servant of God, I just went through all the names that have been said of Jesus so far in Acts. When people are bound chained, shackled to those things. Well, the rulers and the kings and the lords of the day, they don't hold much water. Our response is strengthened by our full devotion. That is why it's been described that the early church was fully devoted to the teachings of the apostle, that image of holding fast and being empowered by the Holy Spirit. So Peter and John now come to them and they are threatened and they say, listen, we have been told to keep quiet. And that brings to them some options to consider. So if you were in that crowd, so imagine yourself there, and they come and they say that to you, now you've got some options, right? Option number one. So you're telling me, just like I said before, crucifixion, all things can happen. So you're telling me that's going to happen to me if I continue with this on. My option is to say, you know what? It's been real. It's been fun. It's been real fun, but I'm, I didn't sign up to be crucified. Thanks so much. And you take a step away. That's option one, right? Can we all agree that one of the options for the crowd is to say, thanks so much. I'm out. Check you later. Option two would be, well, let's just, let's lay low. Let's just lay low for a little bit. Let's not cause a ruckus anymore. Let's leave their cinnamon toast crunch alone. And let's not be influencing anybody. And we'll just, we'll just keep to ourselves, worship ourselves. And, and as long as I'm not hurting anybody else, uh, I'll be fine. Just worship that way. Option three, then, is what? To keep on keeping on, right? And so we obviously know what they did because we have the book of Acts. They kept on keeping on. They, they, they were emboldened in their witness and they, and they pushed forward with this. Now, I bring these three options up to challenge us as well. Because listen, the American church, the Western church, the church that we are in right now does not experience the type of persecution that has been listed here in the Bible. We don't walk out of here for fear that someone is going to put two pieces of woods together and then nail us up to it and say, you filthy Christian. That's not in our, that's not in our, 
our, our, our path in any way, shape, or form. We experience social persecution for sure. We experience things like that that push us back into option two, where we'll just, we don't, we won't say anything because if I open up my mouth, I'm going to be chastised as, as all sorts of things, and, and I don't want to do that, so I'll just keep quiet. Take the lesson from what they did. Fearful of impending possibly death, doom, and, and not good things to their lives, they, they doubled down. They doubled down, and they lived, as Matt discussed last week, as anointed ones by the Holy Spirit. They were filled with boldness and loyalty to the gospel, using every opportunity to share, modeling their lives after Christ. They had all of the tools essential to be able to say to these people, you know what, I don't care what you have to say, but we're going to continue on. They, they Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego it. Does anyone know that story? Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego? Old Testament, they, they, Nebuchadnezzar is this Babylonian king, and, and he throw, gets ready to throw them into the fiery furnace. If I remember the story, it's because they were not following the rules uh, that, that was set before them. Uh, and so they, they decide that they were going to continue to follow their laws, their ways of, of Yahweh, of, of the God of Israel. And so that meant that they were going to be thrown into this, this fiery furnace. And, and so what they say to Nebuchadnezzar is, listen, our God is bigger than you, obviously, and this is my version, and, and he can deliver us from this, sure can, but if he doesn't, O king, we will not bow to your gods. And we will not follow those ways. That's exactly what, what we're going to see them do. They're going to basically say, yeah, and Peter and John actually said that to them. But the people's posture and their response is in the same vein. Well, sure, that's them, and we can't control them. We're going to continue with our emboldened, faithful witness. You see, because they have experienced an unshakable truth, the unshakable truth, that Jesus Christ is the true sent Messiah, the one in whom the Jewish people killed, the, the one whom the Israel, whatever, the one whom they killed and was raised again, we're following him. And that is a truth that we will not move from. We'll actually dig in deeper. We will, we will be fully devoted to it. And that has made them unshakable witnesses. So that when the arrows of the outside world come flying in, they're like, ping, 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 ping. They're like, it's okay. Whatever happens, happens. We're going to witness to the Lord. And so today, this is our, our statement. The unshakable witnesses to the unshakable truth. How does this happen? Well, we're going to look at them as they pray after Peter and John told them what happened. We're going to see an unshakable prayer. We're going to see how that has emboldened their witness and what the unshakable truth is that they are proclaiming. Are you excited? Yeah. Yay, good job. Let's open up our book of Acts and we're going to run through this here a little bit. I'm going to read, th read to you Acts 4. Uh, 23 to 31, we're going to stop and teach, maybe, I don't know, I don't know how I'm going to do it yet, but we're going to go through this, and I want to just, there's, I may get a little heady on you, if that's okay. We're going to swim around in the Greek language, it's okay, it's fine, it'll be good, it's okay. Jenny? I'm good You're good. Yeah. And kind of see where these connections are, but this is this prayer, my, my friends, this prayer is 
so awesome. This is a prayer that should shake you as you hear it. And, and I'll, I'll issue some challenges to you all as we go through. But my goodness, if we prayed like this all the time, whew. Acts chapter 4, verse 23 to 31. When they were released, it's Peter and John, they went to their friends and reported that the chief priests and elders had said to them, and when they had heard it, they lifted the company, they, they lifted their voices together to God. Now, I don't know if that's they're having some kind of fancy tongues thing again from, the, from Pentecost, or just with one voice, someone's praying and they're all in, they just see unity here, a great strength of unity. And they say, Sovereign Lord, circle that. We're going to come back. Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, circle servant, said by the Holy Spirit. Actually, any time that I read this and you see the word servant or servants, go ahead and circle it. So they cite from David, which is from Psalm 2, why did the Gentiles rage? And the peoples plot in vain. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. Why? For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, as they're still praying, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal the signs and the wonders performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they had gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So right back in the beginning, we've been talking about posture a lot. We keep, I keep throwing that word around. And I want you to understand posture, it, just, it, is, it, is, a, it is a posture of, of, of your whole body wanting to, expecting to receive from the Holy Spirit, to be submissive to the Holy Lord, to say, wherever you call me to go, I will go. That's a posture. And so when they say and open their prayer up with sovereign Lord, this is a posturing statement. How many of you know the word sovereign? Raise your hand. Raise your hand if you know the word sovereign. And how many of you, if you've read through this, may have glossed over that, that little opening salutation? I did when I read it. Like sovereign Lord, okay, it's like saying Almighty God or All Father or whatever. You know, it's... it's Nothing really there. But something, as I was praying on it, something nudged me. I guess it was the Lord, obviously. And I went to kind of, all right, let's dig a little deeper. What, what is this? What does sovereign mean when they say sovereign? I know what sovereign means when I say sovereign. What does sovereign mean when they say it? When I say it, I mean God is uh, all-powerful, omnipotent, is everywhere. Nothing moves without God's knowledge, without God moving first. He's not surprised by anything. That's what I think when I say sovereign God. But them, it's all of that, but it's also a posture. For sovereign Lord is one Greek word 
that means unrestricted jurisdiction, unrestricted power, and quite frankly, it means master. Now, using that word is not the greatest because it has a lot of connotations to our time period in which we have witnessed slavery, in which we have witnessed the horrors of all that is. This is biblical now, this is, and biblical slavery is different than what we, what we had experienced in our timeline. So I am gonna use it because you need to see it with the interpretation, but I'm not blessing, obviously, the slavery that we all know. So, but the, this word here, master, for sovereign Lord is their posture. They are saying to God, we are your servants. We are your bound to slaves, bound to servants. We are bought and purchased by obviously your blood through, through Christ. We're yours. So whatever you're going to do, it doesn't, you know, we don't have any handle in that whatsoever. We're going to continue to pray. So sovereign Lord who made heaven and earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, because he's sovereign, so he's using prophets and he's using people to get his message of redemption out through the whole biblical time. You're serving by the Holy Spirit. Why did the Gentiles rage? Why did peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. They go on, they say, for truly in the city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus whom you anointed with Herod and Pontius Pilate and the Gentiles of Israel that with by your hand that you predestined to take place. So they are rightfully placing their order of, of authority, which means who was not mentioned in that prayer other than why are they raging against them? The earthly leaders and rulers. They didn't say, they didn't give them anything other than saying they're obviously set against you. Why would they do such a thing? O oh, sovereign Lord, and then comes this request. Now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. O sovereign Lord, look to their threats and continue to embolden us, your servants, to speak your truth with all boldness. This is an unshakable witness to an unshakable truth. What they are saying is, by your hand, and we know because we went through Acts 1, 2, 3, and 4, and Peter has brought it up several times, that, that, that um, it was by God's working that the crucifixion happened. That, it, that the Lord was not surprised by the crucifixion. Just like in our time, the Lord is not surprised by uh, COVID-19. The Lord is not surprised by any of those things. So sovereign Lord, here are these threats. And obviously you're not surprised by them. But could you look at them? Could you regard them? Could you, oh Lord, handle those threats? Could you take care of those things? Because we obviously can't take care of them and we're not going to listen to them. So if you would just address that. And I love that posture of prayer because they don't say, kill the haters and down with the evil people. They just say, could you just handle that? Handle those things so that my witness may be, may be unhindered. 
and that our witness may be done with all boldness. Have you ever had a time of prayer where you have addressed the Lord, O sovereign God, to which you understand fully when you say that, that whatever he's going to do, you are just going to be okay with because he's sovereign. Have you ever postured yourself in that area? That means that anything that you're holding on to, the control that you're trying to seize, you have to now loosen your grip on. It's got to be shaken loose so that the very thing that you're holding on to might be the very thing that God is saying, oh, no, 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 no. You don't get to hold on to that. Have you had a prayer life that has done that? Have you had a prayer life that has said, Lord, these people, these situations, this relationship, this death that has occurred, this, this thing that is happening, God, look to that. And please, oh Lord, handle that. And a lot of people may say, oh yeah, I have. This is the only way I've survived. To say, oh Lord, this is yours and this is not me. But did the other shoe drop? Did you pray that prayer so that your witness may be unhindered and carried out with full boldness and courage? Did you pray for the witness part? Did you pray, Lord, handle that so that my story can go out there with boldness and courage and be an unshakable truth that I'm sharing with people? I know I have to pray that. I know I have to do that. There's because I've I've always I've self-confessed to you all. When I'm on airplanes and, and places where evangelism should happen, where 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 the Lord is saying, doing a little chicken wing and saying that one, that one right there that I promptly look to my phone and <laughs> do different things, you know. I mean, it's just, you know, the, the natural, where's the boldness in that, right? But these people are giving us the example. Oh, sovereign Lord, you, O oh master, would you, would you deal with these threats like you have? And I don't know if these threats are by your hand or by not, but whatever they are, let our witness, O oh Lord, be emboldened. Let it go out without hindrance. And you, O Lord, continue to heal and continue to do the awe and the signs and the wonders so that we can continue this, this work. And it doesn't matter if they're going to silence us or not because there's going to be more people after us that are going to continue to do it. That's not said here, but that's understood. They have to get this message out of Jerusalem now into the rest of the ends of the world. And for them to do that, they can't have the luxury uh, like we have of falling into option two of just blending into the faces and not making any waves and not influencing anybody else. They don't have that option. If they do that, this ends in Jerusalem. But that is not what they have been called to do. Therefore, you will be my what? witnesses, unshakable witnesses to all of Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the world. Oh, sovereign Lord, take care of these threats so that our witness may be unshakable. And so they, they, they pray that and, and, and go on and, and then their whole earth shakes and we'll get to that in just a minute. But remember when I said to you that you needed to circle all the servant stuff right? So this was their prayer. Their prayer was very, very powerful, and I would say that it was firmly rooted, fully devoted. But in the prayer itself, there are these nuggets that give us a window as to why they were willing to double down. Why are they willing to do this? 
obviously the Holy Spirit moving through them, but even more, there's more, there's also more. And so these, these, these words mean servant. Now, I remember I said we're going to go in the Greek language a little bit here. These, these words, servant and servant, they're different Greek words with different connotations. The English, unfortunately, doesn't do it on purpose, but the English tends to subdue sometimes what's happening in the original Greek. And so you have to, know, you have to go to it, or at least read commentaries to understand the power of this prayer and why they were so willing to not be moved from the truth. And so you look at these words, servants. How many times are they used? Are they used when, when, when servant is used to name Jesus as a servant, what is the word that's before it? Can you look at it? What is it? Holy, right. Every time that they talk about Jesus being a servant, they put the adjective holy, holy servant. David's been referred to as a servant, but he is not the anointed servant. He is being used by the Holy Spirit, he's being used by God, but he is not the anointed one because we've established that already. David's great, Jesus is better, the best. And then the next one, where is servants used again? We've got Jesus, we've got David, who's the third party? Look at it. What do you say, Corey? Us, yes, us, that's right. He says there in verse, I think, 29, Grant to us your servants. These are all different Greek words. The word pace, or however, how would you pronounce it, Matt? Well, come on, this is where we're working on this together. The word pace means child. It means boy or girl. It means boy servant. When I mean boy servant in, the, in old times, it was not unheard of for a ruler or a king or a rabbi or something like that to have a boy servant that was there as their protege, there to do things that they needed to have done. That's, that's basically where this word kind of comes from. And it's used all over the New Testament. But here with Jesus, it's used as the holy servant. And it just by coincidence could also mean son as well. But know this, that when the New Testament calls Jesus the Son of God, it uses the, another Greek term for son that can only mean son because they don't want to make any mistake about it. We're saying God's true biological son, Jesus. But here, they're using a different word that could mean son, but they're translating it as, we're translating it as a servant, as a holy servant. And what it is doing is that it is calling us back to the book of Isaiah, new prophecy now, but actually he's been around through our, our first couple of chapters. Going back to Isaiah into Isaiah 40, 41, the hymns about the suffering servant who is to come. And so as, they, as, the, as Luke writes this down, he's calling everyone's attention to, not only is this Jesus the holy righteous one, not only is this Jesus the anointed one, not only is this Jesus the author of life, he is the suffering servant from Isaiah, the one in whom we've been waiting for. So therefore, there should not be any doubt whatsoever in whom we are following and the message we are supposed to be sharing. This is why they are unshakable. 
Because evidence after evidence after evidence is saying, this Jesus whom died and suffered, the one in whom you killed, by the way, is the Messiah, God's holy one who's calling you into salvation. So you follow him and you'll be sent with this message that is unmovable, that is unshakable. Isn't that crazy? But it goes even better because then they talk about servants for us, but they don't use pace for that. They use doulos, which is a completely different word for servant. Remember at the beginning of the prayer, they said what? Who they, how do they call God? They said sovereign God. And we said sovereign means master. Doulos means slave. So they are rightfully identifying the holy anointed suffering servant Jesus that there would be no question to follow. And in their prayer, they're saying, embolden our witness because we are your bondservants, sovereign God. We are bound to, chained to, shackled to you. When Paul opens up his letter to Romans, he says, I, Paul, a bondservant, a doulos of the Lord. It is to mean that we are shackled to, we are, we are brought into by the precious blood of Jesus. We are enslaved to God and will do the things that he has called us to do. We are identified by our master as well, the sovereign Lord. And so therefore, Lord, take care of the people and embolden our witness because this is, what, this is why we live. This is what you have called us to, your servants, your doulas. The unshakable truth, the unshakable witness. Lastly, after they pray these things, it says God shakes the earth. And the reason why that is important is that I went and tried to look at different places where the Lord shook the earth. And typically the Lord shakes the earth just before something amazing is about to happen. And the book of Hebrews says to us that he shakes heaven and earth. He shakes those things so that the things that are not of the kingdom are loose and the new kingdom and the new, new earth can be established. That's when he's shaking that up. So he's loosening the th very things that stand in the way of us being fully devoted to his gospel truth. And so this happens in the Old Testament with Mount Sinai and Moses. And so God and Moses come down off the mountain just before the Ten Commandments. And the earth shakes. The people get scared. I feel like they say, I have to go back and look at it. I feel like they say, we don't want God talking anymore. Like, you know, this is scary. But, uh, but it's done so that Moses is validated with the message that he's going to give. The Ten Commandments. The law. Then there's the prophet Haggai who uh, is talking about the, the rebuilding of the temple. And that prophet talks about there will be a time when the Lord will shake the heavens and the earth and, and will do those things so that the presence, the glory of the Lord can fill the temple. And that is foretelling the coming of the Messiah who, when the Messiah came and took on the cross and said, it is finished, what happened? The earth shook and the temple curtain torn in two so that what the glory and the presence of the Lord can fill the temple. So now we have these people who just had an amazing prayer of great posture, of great trust, 
of great zeal and boldness, who have proclaimed these things, that this is what we're here to do. We are here to share this unshakable truth. And the earth shakes. And I got to feel like it shakes because they and we are walking prequels of the kingdom to come. Shaking loose the old systems of the old government, of the rulers and the things that stand in the way. Shaking those things loose so that we can go with this emboldened witness of the truth that nothing will stand in the way and give people the glimpse of the kingdom that is to come. When on that day that it actually does happen and the kingdom is here as it is in heaven, when all that is here and we are with the Lord, that we will remember a time where we had to be unshaken. But now we are here as witnesses to the resurrection and don't have to fear any longer. To be unshakable witnesses of the unshakable truth. Remember this, my friends, and what, why this is important. The evil one, his schemes, the things that the devil does is to separate us from the truth, to move you from the truth. And so when those things are happening, remember this prayer from Acts 4. Oh, sovereign God, I, your servant, handle this temptation, handle the things, regard, look at it, help me, oh God, so that I may be emboldened in my witness and not be stopped from sharing your unshakable truth. Loosen those holds because you have been loosed from the chain and the bounds of binds of sin. The unshakable truth unshakable witnesses. This is why we're here. And this is why it was successful. They continued to move forward. They did not say, no, we're done. They did not fade into the faces just yet. They continued on. They continued on. The unshakable witnesses of the unshakable truth. My friends, take a breath. For this is why God has called you into this family. Let's pray. Gracious Lord Jesus, I thank you for your Holy Spirit that continues to move in this place and in our hearts. And allow that same Holy Spirit to embolden us, to do the very things of living as anointed people, as emboldened and, and loyal to, to your word and to your truth and using every opportunity to share and modeling our lives after Christ. Dear God, continue to, to whisper and, and call that to our hearts to not allow us to be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be renewed, transformed in our minds by your, by your truth. Remind us of your sovereignty, that the very things that we might be holding on to are the very things you're trying to shake loose so that we may not have any hindrance in front of us in sharing your good news. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.